Hi, I'm Tim Holmes, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Inflation continues to rise. Central banks put up interest rates. Fed reserves expected to go up by half a point this week, half a percent. European Bank expected to raise interest rates to bring it back to zero, first rise since 2011. And the Bank of England has said it will raise interest rates by a quarter of one percent. The Nord Stream pipeline to Europe remains closed. Question is, will it reopen? Europe is keen to move itself away from the dependency it has on Russian gas, and it's working hard to resolve that situation. Nord Stream said its pipeline is closed for maintenance work, but many question whether the pipeline will reopen this winter. This is all part of a concerted effort to put pressure on the European Union, as Russia made announcements this week that it's likely to expand its war in Ukraine to spread out and take more territory beyond Donbass and Crimea. Moldova too has become concerned with these statements as the closest to the Ukrainian border near Odessa. Here's an update on the Nord Stream situation with the gas flows to Europe. Remember Nord Stream closed the pipeline on the 11th of July for maintenance work. Well apparently On the 21st of July, the pipeline has been reopened once again. But it remains to be seen on how much gas will flow to Europe in the coming months, or whether this is likely to happen again. The Nord Stream 1 pipeline accounts for about one-third of all the gas imported into the European Union. Consumers in the West are feeling the pinch in Europe, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, as inflation takes a tight grip on the economy and central banks try to respond with tried and tested policies by raising interest rates. The hope by raising interest rates is that you dampen demand, but it's supply that's the problem. It's product prices. And product price inflation in Germany this week was reported at 32%. So it's the prices coming out of the factory gates that uh, are the problem presently. And that's because of energy and fuel. It's all back to energy cost and fuel cost. And Russia's war in the Ukraine has disturbed the economic balance around the world. It's destabilized economies everywhere, not least, of course, in Russia itself. The Consumer Price Index in the United Kingdom hit 9.4% this week, and the Bank of England in response has said it will raise interest rates by one quarter of 1%. Now, whether that one quarter of 1% will be enough to actually achieve the target of lowering inflation is questionable. And especially with what we've just talked about, which is the fact that it's supply push inflation that's causing the problem and not demand in the economy. But of course, what's happening at the moment with higher interest rates coming along is that demand in the economy will fall too. So this might be a double whammy in a sense, because you're lowering demand at the same time that price inflation is coming on the supply side. And that's happening in Europe and it's happening in the United States. And there's a fear from economists that this will mean recession 
or even stagflation. Stagflation is when an economy has falling output, but at the same time increasing prices, so high inflation. The US Federal Reserve has said there's a 40% chance of recession in the United States. Heat waves all over Europe this week in the United Kingdom. They had the highest temperatures ever recorded, over 40 degrees. It's usually cold and wet in summer, but it was like an oven. And the reality, of course, of this and the impact on supply chains was that many retailers had empty shelves. It looked like the pandemic all over again, but it was because the refrigeration systems in the retail stores were unable to cope with the uh, with the heat and so goods had to be moved to safety in cold storage elsewhere out of the store climate experts have said they expect more of these extreme temperatures to be around in future and that's bad news for everybody in supply chains other things that were happening in the heat for example well, the steel on rail tracks can melt when temperatures exceed 40 degrees, puts them under pressure. And if this is a more frequent experience, of course, runways were melting with the tarmac, surfaces being damaged, roads will be the same, and it really badly affects supply chains and transport and logistics. Guillaume Farre is head of European Airbus, and he said in a report to the Financial Times this week, that he expects supply chain woes to continue into 2023. Other aircraft manufacturers are in similar positions, with the supply chains not back to normal. Some of the things he mentioned were energy costs, the COVID disruptions, and, of course, inflation. He said that there are many challenges for components, labour shortages, and, of course, inflation. So inflation is really biting into supply chains. He went on to say that he believes in a couple of years' time things will be back to normal. There are shortages of new materials, electronic components and other parts. And it's difficult to operate as normal. There are industry-wide labour shortages as well as higher inflation and energy costs. In Germany, their government has asked for large industrial users to make preparations for potential cuts to gas supplies from Russia. It may be that some people need to work from home again too. They're making plans for energy shortages this winter. Apparently supply chain deliveries of engines have been particularly badly affected. Back in February there were 70 engines behind schedule, but they've since built a way forward and things are recovering. It's a common experience across the industry, with many of the larger companies, Raytheon, Airbus, Boeing all experiencing supply chain difficulties. And the longer lead times for all kinds of components and materials that make the aircraft are, of course, delaying output, which means growth is unlikely. So these longer lead times, higher inventories that people are holding, and no end in sight to the delays and disruption caused in the supply chain will all impact profits. And it will slow capital investment. And of course, it will restrict growth. And if you think about governments, their aim is to grow their economies because growing the economy is a way out of the problems of funding other services. So if there's no growth, there's a recession, it's damaging for everybody. So supply chain woes are at the heart of this. And it's inflation 
energy costs and the general slowdown, that's problematic. Shortages of material have badly affected the aircraft industry. Paul Wingfield, business development manager at Stoken Church, an English-based aircraft materials company, said that they supply alloys that include aluminium, nickel, magnesium, titanium, amongst other things, and they're experiencing shortages and delays of those supplies. They're having difficulty producing the things in the mills that supply them, and the companies had difficulties finding raw materials and distributors to overcome the shortages. The risk of recession is also putting pressure on companies to lower their inventories. So it's all the uncertainty in the economy that seems to be troubling for many suppliers. Baker Hughes, a Texas-based oil services company, said this week that its revenues fell 2% from the previous year to $5 billion and they have a net loss of $839 million. Last year, they made a loss of $68 million. So things not going well. And one reason for this is that uh, they have supply chain issues with the suspension of Russian operations, which caused rising costs as they had to withdraw from those operations in Russia. Marks and Spencer in the United Kingdom announced this week that they've taken over GIST, which is a logistics food supplier. They operate all these refrigerated trailers. GIST is the principal logistics provider to Marks and Spencer's food from StoreShield Limited, a subsidiary of the BOC Group. Marks and Spencer Food has restored an industry-leading position, according to the website, in volume growth over the past four years. And it's developed bigger, better stores, entering new channels through investments in Ocado retail and various franchise partnerships, including 2,500 Costa stores. They say there's an opportunity to create a more efficient and effective supply chain through investments in the network, which will reduce costs to serve, update legacy systems and improve information. GIST has a network of eight primary and ten secondary distribution centres located across the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. It has a number of freehold warehouses and it's likely to be of immediate benefit to Marks and Spencers by removing contractual fees and costs and it helps them align their operations better. Marks and Spencer have acquired the total share capital of GIST for the initial consideration of £145 million in cash and a further amount, $85 million plus interest, will be payable in cash from the proceeds of the intended onward disposal of freehold properties. Stuart Macon, chief executive, said that Marks & Spencer had been tied to a higher-cost legacy contract, limiting both their incentive to invest and preventing growth. Collaborative working has been at the heart of the improvements that Marks & Spencer has made in the food supply chain. GIST has time-sensitive temperature-controlled equipment, which is necessary for lots of the ambient food. has a network of eight primary and ten secondary distribution centres located across the UK and Republic of Ireland. GIST employs about 5,800 people and has an experienced management team and CEO of their company, Michael Chambers, will continue to lead the business, reporting to the commercial director of Marks & Spencer Food. So, from outsourcing to in-house. I came across a piece by Emma Crossgrove this week, 
in Business Insider, and she was writing about the difficulties that FedEx Groundwork Network is experiencing. Patton is the largest FedEx ground ISP, and apparently they've sounded the alarm. Contractors are going bankrupt at an increasing rate, and the company's inaction is threatening the viability of the whole network. So obviously, if one of the largest delivery contractors is going public on the matter, there's a lot more going on below the surface. So it's perhaps keeping an eye on what's happening at FedEx, which uh, is obviously an important part of the supply chain delivery networks. Now, there appear to be increasing problems at the port of Oakland in California, and apparently dwell times at Oakland have risen to 16 and a half days. A week ago, they were around 15 days. For every day that the port is closed, it takes about two days to recover. So it's not good if there are protests which are closing the port and also labour shortages. Apparently, the port is said to be unsafe by truckers entering the port. They take about 21,000 trucks daily and the truckers are largely independent, and many are now refusing to enter the port of Oakland until the problems are sorted out. So what's going on? Well, apparently it's all to do with a new labour law that's been introduced called AB5. It's essentially called the gig law. It's about the gig economy. Much of the labour in the port of Oakland is, of course, not unionised, and it's paid by the hour. It's typical of dock labour work, as it was during the 20th century. And of course, California was trying to modernise, put these laws in place so that the workforce could unionise, but it's backfired. Now, the workers want exemption from the AB5 rules that restrict and limit their employment opportunities. So far, there's little movement. Well, labour shortages mean that the trucks are not being unloaded and the truckers are having to wait around and many of those truckers are independents, and they're losing money, basically. They're having to hang around the port for much longer periods, and so they're now refusing the business because it's costing them money. And, of course, this all cranks up. It puts pressure on the port. Ships will be diverted away. The marine transport will be moved to other ports that can handle the ships. And so there's a lot of congestion at the port. But Oakland, of course, is not the only port that might be affected. Long Beach could also be affected and other California ports. And the truckers and the truckers unions are unhappy with the response from the owners of the port and the state. So lots of trouble. At the same time, of course, there are backlogs on rail transport leaving the port. Apparently there's a dwell time there of 11 days. So Anything going into the port at the moment is having great difficulty being unloaded and great difficulty moving on to its next destination. Sounds quite a big problem. And there's no end in sight presently. In the United Kingdom, we still have fuel prices for vehicles rising. That's petrol and diesel. The wholesale price has fallen significantly in the past week or two. But there's no sign of any of that moving to the retail outlets yet in many cases. One would have to think that there's some degree of profiteering taking place here by retailers selling both petrol and diesel. 
And the RIC confirmed that in a report I heard on Friday where they said these wholesale prices had fallen significantly, but prices at the pumps in some cases still remain at £2 per gallon for petrol. And the average price is 188 and the RAC said it should be around 174 75 at present. So something needs to be done, and it's up to government to put pressure on these retail organisations, and if they won't lower their prices, penalise them, tax them. So over to the Department of Transport. Of course, these higher prices for petrol and diesel push up food prices, put up the price of goods, make operating costs for all those logistics companies higher than they need be. And it's scandalous that these retail organisations are profiteering from the situation. It's also necessary for government to actually look at the tax that's applied to both petrol and diesel and to lower that tax because they're making a big killing too at present. It's a stealth tax. It represents a high proportion of the fuel cost. It's an ad valorem tax by value. So as soon as it's applied to petrol and diesel and the price of wholesale fuel goes up, so too the government make more money from the tax. On Friday, a critical incident was reported at the port of Dover. Apparently, Border Control was expecting 12 of the booths, checking passports and other documentation to be open for passenger traffic, and only six were, and this was due to the French authorities only having six manned booths, as opposed to the normal 12, and this is because of difficulties with COVID, apparently. But anybody that thinks this is just a COVID problem wants to think back to 2016, when that Brexit vote took place, because what's happening at the port of Dover is a consequence of that, directly. You used to drive to the port if you were a passenger, and drive straight through, without a check, because the UK was part of the European Union back then. Now the checks take place, and even if those checks are just a couple of minutes per passenger. If you've got lots of passenger traffic, and in addition you've got truck traffic sailing to the continent with all kinds of goods, then even the smallest of delay in a throughput system like that can cause large tailbacks. And that's exactly what's happening presently. Apparently there are about six-hour tailbacks. So the Brexit problem isn't settled. It's not done. And we're likely to see more of this over the summer period as, of course, more traffic attempts to use that particular route. And there's the P&O ferry situation. There's still a ship short, apparently sailing out of Dover. Remember they sacked all those people weeks ago, I reported it here. Well, they now use cheaper labour, but they've got a boat out of action still. So there isn't the capacity to deal with the traffic that's turning up to the port. And anybody that's driven through Dover knows that the area surrounding is really quite tight, So if you get more trucks and more cars turning up, you just get longer tailbacks on the roads to the port. I wonder how many people waiting in line think back to those halcyon days where you could just go freely onto the boat and sail on to Europe, hassle-free. You will have heard me talk about the problems of friction in supply chains, and one of those problems of friction is all the paperwork and all the delays and all the checks that happen at Britain's ports while we're trying to get goods across to the continent, and, of course, while we're trying to bring goods in to the United Kingdom. What wonderful days those days of non-friction actually were. Well, they're a distant memory now.
Today, Brent crude oil prices per barrel have fallen to 102 US dollars, and Libya has resumed oil output, which is increasing the supply of oil. So, some good news on oil prices. But will it go to the petrol pumps? Will the gasoline be cheaper? Will the diesel be cheaper? Well, they need to get these prices sorted out more quickly. The adjustments need to take place faster than they do at present. It was reported today that business activity in the Eurozone has fallen in the past 12 months. And in the United Kingdom, it's fallen during the past 11 months. The Purchasing Managers Index shows that this is the first contraction since May 2021. There is a growing concern by many economists that the interest rate hikes will add to the pressure. Turkey is claiming it's brokered a deal with Russia to unblock the ports on the Black Sea, and that will release the grain to travel through and on to the markets of the world. It's due to be signed in Istanbul this very afternoon by Ukraine, Russia, Turkey and the United Nations Secretary-General. The Russian Defence Minister, Sergei Shoigu, has arrived in Istanbul to sign the deal. Ukraine is one of the world's largest producers of grain, and Russia's been blocking the Black Sea ports. The world shortage of Ukrainian grain sent food prices rocketing and left millions at risk of hunger in poorer countries, mainly in Africa. There are still some caution over the deal, so we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, if it's accurate, then that would be very good news for world food prices. The European Union is taking action against the United Kingdom for failing to implement the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, you'll remember that this is a, an ongoing spat about the UK not following the rules and the Prime Minister Boris Johnson or his government hasn't entered into any meaningful negotiation about the Northern Irish Protocol with the European Union. And they've lost patience. So watch this space. There has been plenty of time to sort this matter out. It's over a year. And longer than that, if we go back to when the thinking should have been done to finalise the Brexit deal. But uh, we're still having problems. Boris Johnson was always saying that he got Brexit done. But the thing is, he didn't complete the job. I don't know how many of you out there remember the Belbin test about different personality types. And one of the descriptors that came out was complete a finisher. I don't think anybody had put that label to Boris Johnson. There was more news this week revealed by the Secretary to the Treasury, Simon Clark, about the cost of Britain's exit from the European Union. And it's up £7.5 billion on the original estimate to £42.5 billion. Well, that's it for this news roundup. But just before I go, don't forget, catch up on the episodes that you've missed. The Embedded Resource Economy was the recent edition. Take a listen to that. I think you'll find it interesting. And of course, as always, follow us on LinkedIn and on the Supply Chain Advantage website. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, presented, written, and produced by Tony Hines.
Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon, all things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.